This is a Seven West Media podcast. Sam Wagner has already pointed out that deliver, unite, and defeat was not the perfect acronym for an election campaign, since unfortunately it spells dud. But they forgot the final E, my friends. E for energize. And I say, I say to all the doubters, dude. We are going to energise the country. We're going to get Brexit done on October the 31st. We're going to take advantage of all the opportunities that it will bring in a new spirit of can-do. He's dishevelled, disorganised and has been fired for being loose with the facts. He's also Britain's new Prime Minister. This week, Theresa May stepped down to make way for Boris Johnson. So who is he and how did he get here? I asked Seven's Europe Bureau Chief, Hugh Whitfeld. That's a very good question. He's 55 years old, surprisingly born in New York. Um, At the time, his father was studying at Columbia University. So for a long time, Boris Johnson had dual UK-US Citizenship. He only, uh, I guess, gave up his US citizenship in around 2015 when people started asking questions about whether he should be paying US income tax. A moment's pause echoed around the country. Hugh Whitfeld started in Channel 7's Europe Bureau in 2014. Since then, he's covered royal weddings, the Notre Dame Inferno, terror attacks, and of course, Brexit. You can definitely say that Boris Johnson is part of the ruling class. For a long time, he was a journalist. He went to Eton uh, with David Cameron. David Cameron was a few years below. Um, And then Oxford in a similar cohort as David Cameron and Jeremy Hunt, his leadership rival in the contest. George Osborne was there as well, uh, who was David uh, Cameron's chancellor. Mm -hmm. What obviously sets him apart, though, is his personal styling, Uh, not just the way he looks, but the way he talks. Uh, and the language that he uses. Um, He was a journalist initially for The Times. He was sacked for making up quotes. He then went to work for The Telegraph, ironically somewhat as their Brussels correspondent covering the EU, Uh, and then became a pretty notable figure in in the British establishment uh, as uh, editor of The Spectator, uh, and then entering Parliament. Uh, he spent some time as the Mayor of London as well. That's where we have all those incredible pictures of him doing stunts on zip lines and tackling <laughs> junior rugby players uh, and then into Parliament. And interestingly, he always denied that publicly that he wanted to be the next Prime Minister or take over from David Cameron or take over from Theresa May. But most of those closest to him and even those who aren't that close to him know that this is this is the fruition of a very long-held ambition. I have just been to see Her Majesty the Queen, who has invited me to form a government, and I have accepted. And just going back a little bit, you mentioned his physical appearance. Can you describe that for us? I don't think he's as fat as he, is. he may look on television. His, his suit is so baggy. <laughs> Um, it's not very well fitting. Um, in fact, he used to live around the corner from me uh, in North London and you'd see him on his bike. Uh, he's, he's relatively fit, but he's got this hair that um, underneath it now, he's losing a lot of it on the top of his head. So he brushes it into the middle and keeps it long to make it look like he's got this blonde mop. Um, look, he is shambolic. He never really looks 
um, completely well tailored. Um, I, you know, I guess he doesn't really have much competition in Jeremy Corbyn, the Labor leader, who barely sometimes has his top button done up. Um, but it's part of this personal brand that that uh, Boris Johnson has managed to pull off over the last 20 years or so. Before an interview, he'll ruffle his hair to mess it up, to make sure that it's that it's yes. on point uh, when it comes to, to Boris Johnson's uh, trademark look. Statement, the Prime Minister. And our mission is to deliver Brexit on the 31st of October for the purpose of uniting and re-energising our great... They're saying Britain Trump. They call him Britain Trump and people are saying that's a good thing. That they like me over there. That's what they want. So most people will want to make sure they don't have a hair out of place. He wants to make sure he doesn't have a hair in place by the looks of exactly. things. Exactly. It, it's just all part of the of the brand and and he knows that and i guess um the 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 thing to point out that is that um you know there are people there are commentators um who will say that he's britain's trump and in fact donald trump this week has said that oh people call him britain trump britain trump he said i i don't know the gentleman you refer to at all well i heard what he had to say about muslims and not wanting to uh, allow Muslims into America. I thought that that was an extraordinary thing for a candidate for the office of presidents of the United States to say, basically because America, as I understand it, is a country built on uh, the ideal of welcoming people uh, irrespective of their race, religion, color, or, or creed, or whatever. And, and I think that's a, a fine thing about America. So I was very, very disappointed to hear that. The parallels are he is a populist, um, he shoots from the hip, he's not always politically correct. The difference is, Boris Johnson is enormously well educated. Uh, He went to uh, Oxford, Uh, he is an author in his own right, Uh, he's written the history of Winston Churchill, he's a student of Greek and Roman history. Um, you know, he'll pull out some random uh, quote from, uh, from a Greek philosopher at the drop of a hat. Well, I thank you all very much for the incredible honour that you have just done me. I will work flat out from now on with my team that I will build, I hope, in the next few days to repay your confidence. But in the meantime, the campaign is over and the work begins. But underneath it, too, is the fact that the shambles is emblematic of his personal life. He has been... He's now on his second divorce. Um, there were a series of affairs that came to light about 10 or 15 years ago. Um, One of those uh, women that he had an affair with had an abortion. We don't know how many children he has because he doesn't admit to some of the affairs that he has and and the children that are the the uh, the result of those affairs. And now he's um, he's uh, going to uh, move into Number Ten Downing Street with his uh, girlfriend, who's 24 years younger. She's 31 years old. Carrie Simmons, um, a Conservative Party uh, PR uh, uh, operative, uh, a spin doctor, um, who he's been living with uh, since uh, leaving Marina Wheeler, his uh, his second wife. So um, look, he is not look. In some ways, you know, on paper, he is the archetypal British. Prime Minister Eaton. And there's been more Prime Ministers in Britain that have gone to Eton than have been members of the Labour Party. Um, go, he went to Oxford. Uh, but the private life and the language and some of his politics 
uh, and the way he practices those politics is certainly unconventional when it comes to Britain. I did hear a story from a BBC journo who said he was at an event in 2006 Boris was meant to be speaking at. Boris rocked up with four minutes to spare, asked where he was, scribbled two words on a piece of paper, sheep and shark, got up and blew everyone away. And the journo thought, wow, I'm in the presence of genius. Two years later, they were at a different event, different industry, rocked up with two minutes to spare, scribbled some words on a piece of paper. He saw sheep and shark and then did exactly the same speech, including the same mistakes. And since I heard that, I just can't stop thinking about it because I'm like, this guy is so calculated. Everything he does even if it looks like an accident, it's like he means to do it. He, I think it was the, the first one was like the British Surveyors Association Awards or something like that. And the, and the, the one of his gags was that every time he had to say that, he'd turn yeah. around and look at the sign to make sure he could, you know, tell everyone where exactly he was, spelling out the words up behind him, the British Surveyors Association, that sort of thing. Yeah. He, um, yeah, it's it's all part of the, it's all part of the act. He knows what he's doing, um, and look at where it's got him. Exactly. And so what does happen now? Now that he's been sworn in, what next? Well, we've just seen his first session uh, in Parliament uh, destroying Jeremy Corbyn, the Labour leader, who, um, even though he says he wants an election, would no doubt fear coming up against Boris Johnson in the campaign. Um, and now Parliament goes on a break for summer. Deadline of October, th- deadline of October 31 for Brexit looming. Um, he says that he will bring Britain out of the EU come what may, and that includes the possibility of this so-called no-deal Brexit where Britain crashes out of the EU with no formal framework for any relations with its neighbours going forward. Um, but he will try and get some some sort of a deal, even if it's a very weak deal, uh, to get Britain out by October 31. Of course, by then it will have been delayed uh, by more than six months. Our future, clean, green, prosperous, united, confident and ambitious. And that is the prize and that is our responsibility in this House of Commons to fulfil. And to do so we must take some immediate steps. And the first is to restore trust in our democracy and fulfil the repeated promises of Parliament to the people by coming out of the European Union and doing so on October the 31st. So um, he has a huge job ahead of him. What he's done is he's surrounded himself with all Brexiteers. Theresa May tried to please both the Brexiteers, those who want Brexit, and the Remainers, those who want to stay in the EU, in her cabinet, in her government, spreading the jobs around. It clearly didn't work. Now uh, Boris Johnson has surrounded himself with some of the hardest hard-line Brexiteers that there are around. Jacob Rees-Mogg, who's never, ever had a government job. He's been on the backbench his entire career, but he's a, been a fierce proponent of Brexit and turned out to be a pretty fierce opponent of Theresa May. He's now the leader of the Commons. He's this kind of caricature of another style of, of British politician with the double-breasted suit and the round glasses. Kind of looks like a, a Harry Potter uh, character, <laughs> uh, 40 years older, without Daniel Radcliffe's beard. So... Um, that seems to be Boris Johnson's plan. If he needs to go to a general election to achieve that, um, he's surrounded himself with Brexiteers to fight off the the campaign from the right that would come from Nigel Farage and his Brexit party, uh, the old UKIP leader. So um, 
the politics are very clear to see now. It's just not really clear what Boris Johnson is going to do in order to achieve Brexit on October 31. Yeah, I did see the leader of the EU tweet or um, publish something saying that he was looking forward to seeing the detail in Boris Johnson's plan because I think everyone is, aren't they? Yeah, and that's one of the key criticisms of Boris Johnson is that he speaks well. He 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 sounds enthusiastic. He he you know if you're British you, you he gets the blood boiling inside you to feel patriotic, but he lacks the detail. And and one of his key opponents within the party, Rory Stewart, who was one of the, was another of the uh, the uh, leadership candidates this week, was argue, uh, you know saying why he could not serve in a Boris Johnson cabinet, and he said because he lacks detail. He doesn't know how Boris Johnson is going to achieve his plans and his promises. Um, so I guess we all wait and see. Um, but they will point to the fact that the people that he surrounded himself with are the people who achieved the referendum victory back in 2016, and they can pull it off again. Right. And you mentioned that he surrounded himself by Brexiteers. I mean, where did the rest of the cabinet go? Were they sacked? Did they quit? What happened to Theresa May's cabinet? Some of them quit. People like Jeremy Hunt, uh, the Foreign Secretary, who was, of course, in the final two mm. up against Boris Johnson in the leadership campaign. Rory Stewart was the, was the International Development Secretary. He quit. Uh, Philip Hammond said he couldn't serve under Boris Johnson if he was going to possibly result in a no-deal Brexit. He was the Chancellor. He's gone. Then you've got people like the Defence Secretary, Penny Morden, who'd only been in her job for two months. She was sacked. Um, and and a, a range of others forced out from government. Um, there's barely anyone who survived in their own job. Amber Rudd is one of the few uh, few uh, ministers who survived in a, in work and pensions, which is very much a quite a kind of is, you know a bit of a grafting uh, job in terms of um, actual work having to be done by the Secretary of State. So um, I, I, there are a lot of people going to the backbench, chief among them, of course, Theresa May. Mm. Um, she will go to the backbench for the first time in 21 years of her parliamentary career. Yeah. So, um, look, the, the, the Tory party now has the Brexiteers very much in control mm. uh, for the first time, really. And there'll be people around the country who celebrate that. Uh, and for Boris Johnson politically, what he's done is he's, as I said before, he's fended off that campaign from the right, from Nigel Farage, and he will he will frame the Tory party now as wholly and solely Brexit. Um, you can't deny that now with the government that he has formed. Uh, and it creates a point of difference with Labor, a massive point of difference with li the Liberal Democrats and the Scottish Nationalist Party in Scotland, yeah. uh, and, and means that um, he can run around the country saying that people like Jeremy Corbyn, the Labor leader, want to deny the people of Britain their democratic choice, which, of course, was to leave the EU. And what is he going to do apart from Brexit? Is anyone talking about that or is everyone just solely focused on Brexit? Because, I mean, nothing else can really happen until that's sorted, right? Yeah, pretty much. I think there'll be nothing that really happens within the government uh, until after October, until Brexit is somewhat finalised. Look, he's spoken about p boosting police numbers. He's spoken about reducing crime. He's spoken about delivering broadband into every home. Uh, and and boosting the health service. Um, but in reality, that's just all talk. This government is purely, purely based around Brexit. Uh, and, and to some extent, that's why people don't think he'll last that long, that... Um that, that he could be end up with a very short prime ministership because he could just go out in, a, in flames, in, in that it all just turns to a mess again. 
I have done everything I can to convince MPs to back that deal. Sadly, I have not been able to do so. I tried three times. I believe it was right to persevere, even when the odds against success seemed high. But it is now clear to me that it is in the best interests of the country for a new Prime Minister to lead that effort. I sort of feel like she was quite graceful in her defeat, the way she left and her speeches towards the end seemed very sort of humble, which I guess they had to be. But what do you think her legacy will be, just as a side note? Uh, Look, there are people in this country who say she'll go down as the worst post-war Prime Minister in British history. Um, People who compare her to, to Neville Chamberlain, who came back with that appeasement agreement with Adolf Hitler in in the 1930s. Um, look, wow. She, yeah, it's pretty mean. She tried to save her legacy by pointing to her achievements in the environment and social uh, care and, and health care. Um, and I think probably it's really only environment where she can probably claim some credit for some pretty big, you know, change policies that um, just wouldn't get a good get a run in Australia at all. Um, you know, mandating... Uh, five uh, p on shopping bags, mandating a surcharge on uh, coffee cups, um, putting in a ban on unnecessary plastic in shops, aiming to reduce climate uh, emissions to uh, net zero um, by 2050, I think. You know, they're, they're the sort of things that just the Liberal Party in Australia just isn't doing, the conservative side of politics. And so she's managed to do that. Wow. Um, and that's pretty much it. To be honest, uh, her, her critics say that she stuffed up Brexit. Um, she handled uh, the Grenfell Tower crisis dreadfully. Um, even I think she would say that. Mm. Uh, and her prime ministership was not just dogged by Brexit, but a series of really damaging and deadly terror mm. attacks. Um, so this period of time in Britain has not been fun for a lot of people. And uh, a lot of them blame Theresa May. Yeah, wow. I have heard some commentary saying that this is the most tumultuous time in British history since World War Two, And of course, that was uh, Boris's uh, hero, Winston Churchill. Exactly. And uh, Winston Churchill was uh, kicked out of office by the electors after he won the war because they realised that he wasn't very good at governing outside a crisis situation. And there are some people who believe that Boris Johnson is exactly the same. Once he gets through this Brexit process, he won't actually be able to govern... Um, you know, essentially a normal, in a normal style, have a, a normal government. Um, the difference with Boris Johnson is he, he actually did govern for eight years in normal circumstances relatively as Mayor of London, um, and that's a pretty big job with mm. an economy and and politics that is bigger than some countries. So, uh, and I guess that's the key difference with Donald Trump as well. You know, he's he's a, for the last 20, what, 20 years, he's been a politician and Donald Trump was never the Yeah. That. I guess to sum up then, what is the mood there? What's it like walking down the streets? Are people optimistic? Are they fearful? Are they over it? Still purely divided, like this country has been. It is now, and it is along Brexit lines. The Remainers uh, campaigned out or protested with flares outside Downing Street last night. There's a massive protest tonight in Parliament Square led by Jeremy Corbyn, the Labour leader. Uh, the Brexiteers think he is the bee's knees that they have, they have claimed back the government with Boris Johnson in charge. Um, so he will have to somehow bring together those two sides if he's going to truly unite the country as he's promised that he can. Um, but, geez, it's a big job. And uh, this country, it's, it's, it's 
it's nasty. It's nasty in a lot of places. Um, and, uh, and I think I've just been in America for a couple of weeks as well. And I think, um, the, for the first time probably ever, politics in Britain, um, is an overtly divisive and nasty subject. Uh, and it really turns people against each other, maybe more so than Trumpism does in America at the moment. That's how fiercely people feel about it. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know, Brexiteers believe that they they're being robbed. That Theresa May was going to rob them of their Brexit because she couldn't pull it off, and they stand by that figure, fifty two percent, that got the result. So um, yeah, they, they they claim the majority, and and they're right. They they won the referendum. Yeah. Well, I suppose now we sit back and see what happens. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks. I think you'll get a bit of cool air um, this uh, while Parliament's in recess. But once it comes back, he's going to have to come back with a plan. And uh, then we'll, we'll find out just how serious Boris Johnson is about delivering on his promises. And come October 31, it's happening anyway. Brexit is happening anyway, so... It, it, it seems like it's going to happen. It seems like it's going to happen on Halloween... Come what may, he says. And if and if he doesn't achieve it, that's Boris Johnson dead politically. So there's a lot riding on it for him personally too. That was Seven's Europe Bureau Chief, Hugh Whitfeld. That is your news fix for this week. Every week we'll dig a little deeper and go behind the headlines. Please subscribe if you have a moment and send us your feedback to podcasts at seven.com.au. News Fix is produced by Seven West Media. Supervising producer is John Buck. Our executive producer is Nikki Hamilton. And the director of News and Public Affairs is Craig McPherson. I'm Cyan Doherty. Thanks for listening.